Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back. And last week we were talking about um, doing your own work. And how do you know when anyone has done their own work? And that's what we couldn't answer as this group of pioneers. It's something that, uh, for example, I've recently become certified as an IFS practitioner. And the one thing that struck me in the 250 hours that you had to show that you met with people and the different levels of training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was nothing in that program that required the uh, practitioner or therapist to actually do their own IFS therapy. Okay. And now in doing this with people, I am so struck that in about 50% of the cases when I'm working with somebody, that the things that are presented are not taught in any training. There are things that I encountered in the six years I've been doing this for myself in my weekly sessions that, oh, I've been there. I get this. I can be with this to where in the trainings, they weren't covered, What, whatever. <laughs> and so there's no answers here. And I think it's so important that, that we're consumers of what we're professing. So this is, you know, how I was trained. I was trained at Naropa University in the 90s, from 1994 to 1998, in somatic psychotherapy. And my God, did we have to do our own work. We had to be in our own therapy. We had to be in our own group therapy. We had to be leading groups. We had to be working on our shadow stuff. We had to be, right? So that was why I chose that program. It was the only program for me. It was the first time education made sense to me. Um, was actually going to this alternative graduate school and doing experiential learning, but we had to be our own case studies. That's my wording. We had to do our own work. And the professors, the teachers were watching us in class. You know, we were facilitating each other over and over and over in different, you know, or in somatic and movement-based therapy, right? So, you know, that that's what I'm steeped in. That's what I'm steeped in. That's where I come from. I, yeah. I, I really relate with that because I remember when I we first started doing the financial therapy workshops at OnSite, and I was walking with uh, Ted Klontz, who was my co-facilitator. And I, I was raised in, like I said, I was raised in therapy in group psychotherapy groups and on-site used to be in Rapid City. So that's what I was used to. And those therapists, all one of their requirements was you had to do your own work. You had to to have taken so many uh, courses as a participant. I just thought that was normal. And I remember asking him, what percent of all therapists have done their own work? He said, oh, I think about 1%. (laughs) Like, did you drop see, a zero from that in the 10? He says, no, about one. Well, see, that's the difference between everyone who's gone to Naropa. They do their own work, right? right. Or a program like that, CIS, Naropa. If you go to a more academic or, or research-based, theoretical-based 
counseling program, you may not be required. I don't know. You know, I just know that it, it was required of us. It was what we were doing. How could we facilitate others if we were not doing our own work? But again, I think it, it could even come back to the Enneagram, though, because Enneagram 4 over here needs experiential, right? That's the kind of training I need, needed to do my own work, needed to learn, like, in the trenches, I needed to just start doing that in the small groups, right? Right. Where other people, Enneagram you know. ones, maybe? Enneagram ones are, you know, my sister does, a, she's a therapist. She does a lot of training and extra training. All, it's amazing. Like she's always doing extra trainings on marriage and family, on addiction. And I'm just more like intuiting, you know, I'm doing the work with everyone have been for years. And then I go read my novels and memoirs. And then I learn from that. So I think that we learn in different ways, right? And then we would all have different checklists of what does it mean to be proficient? Because for me, right, it would be my three-phase methodology would be knowing the money emotions that come up for you, learning somatic tools on how to work with those money emotions, knowing your money story. Not that you're done with it. You know, I learned something new a year ago about my money story, you know, which I could share. But learning where you still need to forgive, what you're still holding on to, learning fun tools like money rituals, what are they? And, and then moving into the practical, learning a bookkeeping system. Yes, tracking, whether you're doing it or you have a bookkeeper by your side, renaming your categories that are values-based. Like a financial planner, that wouldn't be on their proficiency checklist. On mine, it would be what are your values, or it might be, what are your values? And then let's rename your bookkeeping category so they honor set intention, our fun, creative, you know, way of doing bookkeeping and on and on. How do you know how to, do you know how to do a budget, which, you know, none of us call it that anymore. Spending plan, money map. How do you make good money decisions based on your numbers, phase of life, right? Your set of questions that you ask. And so like, so, I mean, I'm just like off the cuff, like throwing out of some based on my methodology. And then you would have your own version based on the family system work, yeah, right? I think, I think what you're highlighting, because obviously we're both on the same page on this and that. I remember I had uh, one of my employees was getting uh, their master's in uh, mental health counseling. And I remember her telling me, yeah, uh, somebody in, in my uh, course just kind of got upset. And I'm paraphrasing all this, that they said, well, they didn't need to do, they didn't need to go to therapy. They're here to help other people. They themselves don't need help. And that was just shocking to me. Mm. Well, unless there's an Enneagram type that that would really work for, but I would call BS on that. You know, just (laughs) I had I had someone come to me who was a financial planner and she was more in her mind, money and numbers were more black and white spreadsheets. She was on Wall Street. Right. It was more matter of fact to her. So she came to me to work with me privately when I was doing more ongoing private work for a few years. And she it was so great. She was like, I, it's very matter of fact for me, right? But I want to learn how to work with my folks better, like the people that are coming to me, because money is so emotional for most of them. And I want to understand them better. 
So not only did she get more tools on how to work with other folks, but she wound up learning a lot about her own family yeah. system and then realized, wow, she had tons of money emotions and tons of challenging money dynamics with her mother. And, you know, and so she at first glance was like, well, I don't have anything. It's totally black and white. And then when we started getting in there, and I'm not always like, you have to find the emotions, you know, like in my world, everyone has emotions around money. So this is one of my favorite negative reviews that I got from my first book. It was from a guy and he said, I'm just appalled that the author thinks that everyone has emotions around money. <laughs> it's like, like, you know, it's really just, he said, it's really just black and white. I will, I'd never respond to reviews, but that one made me laugh out loud because I wanted to say, um, did you read the bio? The author is a therapist, you know, therapists deal with emotions. Humans have emotions. So that was one of my favorite. Like he just was appalled that the author thought everyone had money emotions or some negative money emotions. And I think everyone has some negative money emotions and hopefully some positive too, you know. That anyway. 20 years ago, that could have been me. I think mm. Maybe 30. Yeah. I remember when my coach said, okay, Rick, just, just take a deep breath here. What sensation in your body is up for you? I'm like, what? What, what language is happening in your body? And I'm like, what? What? Well, Rick, we're trying to find the feeling, and feeling start with a sensation. I'm like, what hmm. are you talking about? My body has no sensations. That mm-hmm. I don't have many feelings. Mm-hmm. And for me, the goal was not to have feelings. It was to be yeah. flat yeah. line. So I yeah. totally can relate with uh, somebody that's like, what are the feelings about? There's no feelings here. I just wanted to know how to do my my work better. I want to, to, to learn all these tools that you talk about so I can help other people, but I don't need them myself. Yeah. I would say no. Um, although, I mean, my God, there's tons of people who teach like that and do money management work. Like here's how you pay down credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Here's how you invest. Here's how you live within your means and a story, <laughs> you know, like right. there right. are tons of books and teachings out there on just that, right? So, and I think there's a reasonable amount of evidence. I would call that financial literacy, and a reasonable amount of evidence that financial literacy in a, in an of itself is not successful because we don't need more information. Well, some people do. You know, some people that are more creative minded. Like I was growing up a dancer, then became a therapist. It was like, oh, I can't use the other side of my brain. There were a lot of financial literacy things and practical money management tools, like just learning a tracking system and doing it by myself, you know, and feeling really empowered, learning how to read my, you know, reports and learn cash flow and and the whole thing. Like all of that was the practical bits that, I need, I did need more information, but I only needed it from someone who was a compassionate, loving teacher. And, you know, as I would say, learning a bookkeeping system, I would stop for chocolate breaks, learning a bookkeeping system, I would stop for like crying breaks. I don't, I don't know if it was literal, but like that, that when I remember back, that's how I remember how intense it was for me and how scary and vulnerable. Yeah. So that was my exact question was okay, but what emotional work preceded you 
being able to receive the information and being able to hear it and being able to apply it. And I think he just answered that. It had to be integrated. Yes. We kind of go off the rails with, okay, let me show you how mutual fund works. Let me show you how this, let me, it's real simple. You need to spend less than comes in. Yeah. So go forth and do it. <laughs> right. So it is, it's that integration that we've always, the integration of emo- emotional literacy and somatic Emotional literacy and financial literacy, right? I was going to say somatic. Somatic literacy is in there for me with the emotional. It's it's, it's a, a real part of it. And maybe that's a Gail Coleman that I referred to just recently released a book, Somatic Finance, mm-hmm. just a culmination of her 20 years. And I remember Gail from that first Nazrudin cartwheel. Cartwheel. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I met her. <laughs> I met her. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you're a huge pioneer area. I mean, somatic. That was more bleeding edge than financial therapy. Yeah, it was. It was. And it's interesting because for years I was like, call me a financial therapist. And more recently I'm like, well, I'm a somatic trained therapist. I'm a somatic therapist and I'm a fi- uh, financial therapist. So am I a somatic based financial therapist? You know, <laughs> I've been starting to say that because I was doing somatic therapy, which people are now calling trauma-informed therapy or, you know, there's all these new, yeah, there's all these new buzzwords, right? But somatic therapy was, and I'm sure there's an origin before somatic therapy, right? But in the 90s, when I was at Naropa University, Peter Levine's book, Somatic Experiencing and all that, everything else that's come with it and the trauma work, his first book was released when I was graduating in 1998. So we didn't study his work. We studied other people and we had incredible teachers, Christine Caldwell, Susan Apotion, somatic teachers, Janice Beard-Bull, who's Casey now. And so, you know, I just had exceptional, some of the somatic pioneers. So it, it wasn't until one of my colleagues, so Sonia Brewer, who is one of the guest teachers, she was a TA in Art of Money. She's now one of the mentor teachers. She's a somatic therapist and trauma therapist. She gave me a testimonial. And it's always interesting when people give you a testimonial because sometimes they tell you things about yourself that you didn't know or you didn't have worded, you know, you couldn't articulate yet. And she said in her testimonial that I've been doing trauma-informed work before it was called trauma-informed work. And that was really beautiful for me. And it's everything from adding compassion, trusting your timing, slowing things down. There's lots of different things that are in the trauma-informed world that were part of my somatic training. Mm-hmm. You're not behind, you know, all these things. Oh, I call them my I used to call my side teachings or my core cons, my core teachings. And they're now, I have all these small little teachings that are what people are now calling trauma-informed work. Yeah. So I don't know, somatic-based financial therapist. I don't know. What, what, how about, I think I'm the mother of that. I think I'm the mother of somatic-based financial therapy, right? So do we want to go here? Like this whole thing of in the field right now, in the financial therapy fields, there is the Financial Therapy Association that is trying to certify, have the umbrella on this work. And what do you think is best? Uh, I'm going to ask you to <laughs> say publicly, 
right? Because there's some of us that were obviously using financial therapy before that came to be. There's now this entity. There's lots of money coaches, financial coaches out there, people I've been collaborating with and referring to for years. What is my question? Where do you see the financial therapy field going? Given that I'm doing this mentor program now, so I'm doing my piece then there's FDA, there's other people doing their piece. Yeah, it's somewhat bifurcated. And I, in fact... Tell me, what, what, what word did you just use? Bifurcated. I, what uh, does that mean? All chopped up. All chopped up. Actions, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this weekend, I was working on the, a chapter in a book that's going, that's being published, I think, out of New Zealand. And it's talking about various uh, applications of IFS. Mm-hmm. And mine, of course, is on IFS uh, financial therapy. And the, the question came down to what do you look for in a financial therapist or somebody who says they're doing IFS mm-hmm. financial therapy? You know, and it c- encompasses the conversation we just had is how do you screen? How do you vet as the consumer for someone who's done their own work or for someone who mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. a consumer of what the, they're in front of uh, purporting to you. Hmm. I think it's so important. Um, and, and I'm not going to come up with an answer because, you know, um, uh, we get organizations. Organizations start usually w- with this wonderful mission in mind to really do good. And at some point in time in the life of the organization, the life of the or- organization becomes more important than the original mission. And Mm -hmm. that is in government. I mean, that is systemic, I think, Mm -hmm. in the human experience. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes uh, the the whole focus can kind of change from what's really, really good. What what are we trying to approach? And so I don't know that we're going to come up with an answer. And this is really difficult for consumers. You know, as I write to them, how do you find how do you find a berry test? Mm-hmm. How do you find somebody that has sat in the seat who has dealt with all of, not all, but what they know of, of their money issues that yeah. has been there and done that, right? Yeah. And I think that practitioner, that professional is worth their weight in gold. Hence what you're, you're doing for these people in your program, right? Yeah. Been there, done that, and ongoingly doing that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> And that's very yeah. important because it doesn't stop. You were yeah. talking about uh, learning about uh, some of your own money issues recently. I ran into one of mine, which I thought was long dealt with, which is you've got to work hard for money. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some of my own IFS, IFS therapy, and I ran into that like, OMG, there it is. Yeah. So do you want to share how that's showing up a little bit or... And what's shifting or what you're doing to shift yourself out of it? Yeah, I would have to really settle into a part of myself because it was really nuanced. Man, I'd have to really get back into that space to to, uh, get really in touch with the nuance of you've got to work hard. I've been dealing with my whole system around being productive and parts of myself that are productive and parts of myself that feel they have to say yes anytime somebody says, oh, I love what you're doing. Would you do this? 
okay, yeah. which comes from a really vulnerable part that feels that it's not worthy. That, oh my God, somebody's mm-hmm. seeing me. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. all the stuff that, I mean, I've been working on this stuff for 30 years, right? But it doesn't mean, it just means it's a spiral. That's, that's how I look at it. And I, yeah. I'm kind of back in the same place in the spiral. I'm just two levels deeper. Yeah. So, but I, it would surprise me that that nuance came up like, oh my God, there is remnants of that money script. Like for me as a one, stuff that comes up in my work all the time is fear of criticism, fear of uh, being defective, fear of being corrupt, uh, which is the basic fear of a type one. Mm-hmm. And it just mm-hmm. comes up in my work all the time, right? Yeah. Which is why, as you alluded, was it to your sister who's the one, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to fix ourselves all the time. A yeah. new program, a new workshop, great. Yeah. <laughs> this will make me good. <laughs> this will make me whole. So yeah. it is ongoing, really, I don't think. It can stop. However, I'm saying that from the lens of a one, right? Of course, that makes sense to a one. You never stop because you're always trying to improve. Mm-hmm. There's balance. Yeah. In all. <laughs> how did how did I get off on that tangent? I don't know. It's all good. Oh, because we're continually doing our own work and learning new things about our own money story. I shared this this little piece that came up. Right? See, I'm tracking. I'm tracking you. Oh, good. <laughs> so. Um, See, so much. I I mean, I got more stuff that I want to get into, right? Just the important, the huge importance of all this. But I love the importance of doing our own work and continuing our doing our work. And it's not a one and done. And, uh, you know, I thought about your program. I'm like, yeah, I think I'd like to take Barry's program. What would I learn? Oh, I could use some new tools. I've used the stuff that I've used forever, right? It would be much better than the little workshop that I did in your town so many years ago. <laughs> much better. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, there's so many things that I would like to continue to, to take because it, it, we're just never done, right? We can always improve. So I think the three things that you're doing in, in your course are phenomenal, which is a brave space to do your own work, so important, to learn new tools, right? Which can yep. be so, that's how we can take stuff back to our clients. And then we didn't even get into supporting and creating a more sustainable business, which you now can have those talks as a professional when you've looked at your own money stuff, right? Because our pricing and how we look at ourselves and all of the money scripts we have about, well, can I ask that? Am I worth it? Our caretaking parts, they want to take care and help clients heal. And our business parts that say, yeah, but we got to eat. And the polarizations caused by that. All require us taking a look at our our money scripts, our, our traumas. All of yes. that is so important. I have a lot to say about all of that. So to be continued, we're just going to, you know, have to have another interview, another meeting. Okay. Well, we'll do that. <laughs> so thank you uh, so much for joining me. Thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. 
It's uh, so needed. And I just resonate so much with you. I definitely feel that I'm in the Barry Chesler choir. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm in the Rick Taylor choir. I'm the Barry Chesler marketing genius. (laughs) (laughs) You give me too much praise in that area. I occasionally come up with a really good idea like I did last week where I posted on Instagram and Facebook, hey, does anyone want to interview me about all things financial therapy? And then I wound up getting 17 <laughs> interviews that scheduled, 17, 17. It was like, I didn't even have to send out a newsletter. You know, I thought, I don't know, maybe I'll get a few. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It's an honor as always. Well, thank you. And to everyone, uh, join us uh, next week. And it's probably just going to be me. (laughs) Take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.